Well, this morning we are going to continue our study of Daniel, um, and today we're in chapter 9. If you're following along in your Bibles um, at this time, I'd encourage you to, to turn there. Um, otherwise, in a moment, it'll be on the screen. Well, Daniel 4 records a, a written testimony by King Nebuchadnezzar. It's a powerful faith story of the king of Babylon being pursued by the king of kings, the most high God. And as I studied Nebuchadnezzar's testimony, I actually found that there's, there's three different testimonies in this chapter that I want to um, spend some time on this morning. Um, so we're going to return to look at those three different testimonies um, following the, the reading of our text. Um, as, I, as I read the text this morning, it's a longer passage, so I'm going to break it up a little bit, pause with some commentary as we're going through. I'm going to break it up according to how Nebuchadnezzar even writes um, his testimony, if you would, um, starting with his dream, then Daniel, the king's decision, discipline, and deliverance. Um, but let's look at Daniel 4 together, <clears throat> um, beginning in verse 1. King Nebuchadnezzar, to all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. It seemed good to me to show signs and wonders that the Most High God has done for me. How great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and his dominion endures from generation to generation. Okay, as this, this chapter opens... You begin to observe it's taking a, a bit of a, the form of a royal proclamation or letter. It could almost be considered a type of a presidential address, but far much more reaching as it, as it says it was being sent to all the earth. Also, as, as I read that, you can begin to observe this was written in the first person, Nebuchadnezzar's testimony, his words. But please don't misunderstand that Daniel just said... Uh, Hey, King, <laughs> can you write the next chapter for me? <laughs> Here it is. I, I um, Writer's block, or I just you know, want to give you that place. I think it better to be understood that you know, Daniel would have had access to this royal letter that was being sent to all nations, and he's including it in his records of Daniel to describe again the work and the faithfulness of God. <clears throat> Final note, I want to just kind of a little commentary on this first even opening. King Nebuchadnezzar refers to God as the most high God. The most high God. This is the first time in Daniel that he uses that title. He actually uses it six times in this chapter alone. The significance for me there is, is that this title means that God is sovereign. He rules over the heavens and the earth. And how significant that the king of Babylon is now using this title repeatedly, that you are that sovereign God ruling over heaven and earth. Well, let's continue with um, Nebuchadnezzar's um, testimony with this dream. In verse 4, I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at ease in my house and prospering in my palace. I saw a dream that made me afraid. As I lay in bed, the fancies and, and the visions of my head alarmed me. So I made a decree that all the wise men of Babylon should be brought before me, that they might make known to me the interpretation of the dream. Then the magicians, the enchanters, the Chaldeans, and the astrologers came in, and, and I told them the dream, but they, they could not make known to me its interpretation. At last, Daniel came in before me, he who was named Belshazzar, after the name of my God, 
and in whom is the spirit of the holy gods, I told him the dream, saying, O Belshazzar, chief of the magicians, because I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in you and that no mystery is too difficult for you, tell me the visions of my dreams that I saw and their interpretation. The visions of my head as I lay in bed were these. I saw and behold a tree in the midst of the earth, and its height was great. The tree grew and became strong, and its top reached to the heaven. And it was visible to the end of the whole earth. Its leaves were beautiful, and its fruit abundant. And in it was food for all. The beasts of the field found shade under it, and the birds of the heavens lived in its branches. And all flesh was fed from it. I saw in the visions of my head as I lay in bed, and behold, a watcher, a holy one, came down from heaven. He proclaimed aloud and said thus, chop down the tree and lop off its branches, strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Let the beast flee flee from under it and the birds from its branches. But leave the stump of its roots in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze, Mid the tender grass of the fields, let him be wet with the dew of heaven. Let his portion be with the beasts in the grass of the earth. Let his mind be changed from a man's and let a beast's mind be given to him. And let seven periods of time pass over him. The sentence is by the decree of the watchers. The decision by the word of the holy ones to the end that the living may know that the most high rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will and sets over it the lowliest of men. This dream I, King Nebuchadnezzar, saw, and you, O Belshazzar, tell me the interpretation, because all the wise men of my kingdom are not able to make known to me the interpretation, but you are able, for the spirit of the holy God is in you. Okay. As he shares this testimony, as he gives this dream... I see some similarities from the dream that we looked at in chapter 2. Um, and there's also some differences. But, but first, how awesome, how awesome is it that God is working to capture the attention in the heart of King Nebuchadnezzar? If you at times struggle with the idea that, you know, there's a God, he's out there, but kind of hands off, not so much involved in the things of this earth or in my life. Nebuchadnezzar today wants you to say, listen to my testimony. <laughs> we have a God that is very involved. He is very hands-on. Um, and how awesome to, to hear Nebuchadnezzar share this in his testimony. Uh, a difference in, in kind of this, this dream encounter, um, the various wise men brought before the king this time were provided the dream. Here it is, right there. He, he proclaims the dream and then now asks him to give the interpretation. Before they said, no, tell me the dream, which, you know, <laughs> a little more challenging, of course. A, a, a little more like, how did you do that? Only God could do that, right? Here they gave him the dream and it seems like it, it's not that unreasonable that they could see some of the interpretation. It's not unusual, actually, that a tree would represent a ruler or a kingdom. Um, some of the commentaries that I looked at this week Uh, gave it a perspective that some of these wise men may have had an idea of this dream or even an understanding of some of that dream, but really were fearful because to proclaim this type of judgment on the king of Babylon, someone in such power, 
could really invoke his wrath. Well, let's continue to see how Daniel responds in this story. As uh, King Nebuchadnezzar again continues with his testimony. Verse 19, then Daniel, whose name was Belshazzar, was dismayed for a while, and his thoughts alarmed him. The king answered and said, Belshazzar, let, let not the dream or the interpretation alarm you. Belshazzar answered and said, my Lord, may the dream be for those who hate you, and its interpretation for your enemies. The tree you saw, which grew and became strong, so that its top reached to heaven, and it was visible to the end of the whole earth, whose leaves were abundant and its fruit abundant, whose leaves were beautiful and its fruit abundant, and in which was food for all, under which the beasts of the fields found shade, and whose branches of the birds of the heavens lived. It is you, O king, who have grown and become strong. Your greatness has grown and reached to heavens, your dominion to the ends of the earth. And because the king saw a watcher, a holy one coming down from heaven, saying, chop down the tree and destroy it, but leave the stump of its roots in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze in the tender grass of the field, and let him be wet with the dew of heaven, and let his portion be with the beasts of the field till seven periods of time pass over him. This is the interpretation, O king, it is a decree of the Most High which has come upon my Lord the King that you shall be driven from among men and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. You shall be made to eat grass like an ox and shall be wet with the dew of heaven and seven periods of time shall pass over you till you know that the Most High rules in the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. And it will be commanded to leave the stump of the roots of the tree your kingdom shall be confirmed for you from the time that you, have, that you know that heaven rules. All right, again, pausing us here a second. Well, this dream occurred like 20 to 30 years after the chapter we just looked at last week. Um, Daniel has continued in this faithful service to God alongside of Nebuchadnezzar. So amazing. I'm going to talk about the testimony of Daniel's actions later. But just as we're even going through this, I want to highlight again that context that Daniel's service began as he was taken from his family, exiled from his own nation. His temple was destroyed. He's brought to this foreign land. He lived in the shadow of an evil king that forced this slave labor on, on, on those around to build up his kingdom for his glory. I mean, this is the individual that Daniel was serving for all these years. Every time he called out his name, Belshazzar, I imagine that just kind of stung a little bit for Daniel. Don't call me after your God. That's, that's not me. However, Daniel's response, he demonstrates love. He loves this king. Let's continue on with his testimony. The king's decision. Therefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness, your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed, that there may perhaps be a lengthening of your prosperity. All this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of the 12 months, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, and the king answered and said, Is this not great Babylon, which... I have built by my power as a royal residence 
and for the glory of my majesty? Breaking in here again. Well, this was the point of confrontation. This was the point of his decision. It, it was the Babylonian king against the king of kings, and unfortunately, King Nebuchadnezzar still did not see God as the most high God. He had a perspective that Daniel's God was just another one of the gods. I mean, we saw that the chapter earlier, um, you know, when the, as the three friends of Daniel um, here were being thrown in the furnace. And then he, then he even says, all right, we're going to give protection to those who worship Daniel's gods. But it, it wasn't an end to the other worship of other idols and other gods. It was just an add-on. Simply it was an add-on for King Nebuchadnezzar. Um, and I, w- I want to say, with some context as well for Nebuchadnezzar, uh, in this culture, you can look at it back in Daniel 1, verse 2, when Babylon came in and destroyed Jerusalem, they, they took vessels from the temple and they brought them back to, again, the, the storehouse of their gods as a sign that, you know, your gods <laughs> didn't match up to our gods. We're the victor. And he could have any time walked over and looked at his storehouse and saw those vessels. And in his mind, it's like, uh, my gods are stronger. He, he mistakens that the, the, the idea that at times... It may appear that evil wins, but, but we know that, that God never loses. He's always in control, as we'll continue to see in the testimony later. Um, but clearly in his words, we see his decision that, you know, I, I'm not going to bow my knee. It's, this is the city I built for my glory, um, and he ignores God's warning. He ignores Daniel's advice. Well, let's, let's, uh, let's look now to then his discipline. Verse 31, while the words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven, O King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. The kingdom has departed from you, and you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field, and you shall be made to eat grass like an ox. And seven periods of time shall pass over you until you know that the most high rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. Immediately the word was fulfilled against Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from among men and ate grass like an ox. And his body went wet with the dew of heaven till his hair grew as long as eagle's feathers and his nails were like bird's claws. Wow. <laughs> well, that's just crazy. I, I, I read this, this state of insanity. It was actually defined as boanthropy. boanthropy. Um, it's a delusion of being an ox. <clears throat> yeah, I know what you're thinking, and I'm thinking it as well. Is, is there a vaccine for that? <laughs> <clears throat> well, I want to remind you that it's actually Nebuchadnezzar, again, that's relaying this. He's the one that's writing this. He's sharing this a part, again, of his story, the story which ex- was expressed to share about how God captured his heart. This discipline was the extent that God went to save him. Well, let's finish this up with the king's deliverance. Then in 34, at the end of the, the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven and my reason returned to me and I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. 
For his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, and he does according to his will among the hosts of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? At the same time, my reason returned to me, and for the glory of my kingdom, my my majesty, my majesty and splendor returned to me. My counselors and my Lord sought me, and I was established in my kingdom, and still more greatness was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven, for all his ways are right, and his ways are just, and those who walk in pride he is able to humble. I love that the last mention of King Nebuchadnezzar in the book of Daniel, we find him giving praise and proclamation of the God most high. He comes out of this intense discipline and declares his ways are just and right. That also is amazing. He, he didn't question, say, all right, God, <laughs> went a little too far. Uh, we, we could have maybe chose a different route. I got a little tired of grass after year four. <laughs> He didn't suggest any of that. No, he, he proclaimed, God, your ways are just. Your ways are right. You see, he had stepped out of the throne seat of his life that he was very comfortable being in and now was comfortable seeing God as being in the throne of his life. This battle between the king of Babylon and the king of kings ends as King Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar concludes, he is God I am not. Well, so amazing that we have this testimony here recorded in Daniel. And I want to I look at three testimonies as I started out. First, I want to look at the testimony of Daniel's actions. I think they speak very strong for us today. I want to look at, the, again, the testimony of Nebuchadnezzar's words. And then finally, I want to look at the, just the testimony of God's work. All right. First, the testimony of Daniel's actions. Daniel acted with compassion. I referred to this earlier in the context, but I want to highlight that again. You know, if we remember Daniel's history, exiled from Israel, forced to learn this new language, taking a new name after a foreign god, seeing his friends persecuted, his even countrymen likely forced into the slave laborer that's building the city for his glory. Um, it, it would drove, drive most people to not have that love. But Daniel's responding with his compassion. You see, Daniel had allowed God to rule over his heart, his, his compassion, his emotion. And in doing so, he then allowed God to be seen in this testimony of his actions. When we allow God to rule in our life, God gets seen by others, and this is a testimony we have here. Again, if I was in Daniel's sandals, I, I think I would have had more of a feeling, finally, this king is getting what he deserves. God's going to be praised because of the evil's being just stamped out here. But he, Daniel understood God's love, and as he submitted to his rule, he, he portrays even what Jesus spoke about in the Sermon on the Mount, saying, you've heard it said, you should love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Something I, can, I believe only can be achieved is God's rule and his power is working through us. 
as seen in Daniel. So God's rule was displayed through Daniel's heart. Second, see Daniel acting with such courage. So the, the king was provided this dream. It, it spoke of this pending judgment. Daniel has asked to stand before him and to, to say to the king, you know, you are that tree. Let's remember, part of this was that that tree was going to be chopped down and destroyed. So really Daniel was asked to stand before the king and saying, king, you're going down. <laughs> and you're going down hard. This call that he was going to be cut down and destroyed, that he would be cast out and live with the beast. Daniel was asked to pronounce this strong judgment to one of the most powerful men on the globe. You have to imagine as Daniel worked alongside of King Nebuchadnezzar, he saw what happened to anyone who showed defiance to the king. He, he probably saw that, that anger, that response coming, but, but Daniel was there acting in courage and saying, King, that tree is you. And imagine Daniel um, thinking back even to, to Joshua. As Joshua heard, heard the encouragement in Joshua 1.5, just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous. In this moment, Daniel is there with that same promise that God will never leave you. He will be there with you. Be strong and courageous. And as, as he allowed God to rule um, through his courage, he displayed again this powerful testimony of God. So we have Daniel acting with compassion. We have Daniel acting with courage. And finally, I just want to point out that there's a testimony here that Daniel's acting with conviction. Um, his conviction was to his calling and to his truth. See, God had shaped and placed Daniel in this moment for his work and for his glory. You know, this was the conviction I saw of his three friends that were threatened with the fiery furnace when they stood in Nebuchadnezzar's face and said, you know, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, they go on to say, uh, we're still not going to bow to you. They had a conviction for their calling for while they're there. They had a conviction for the truth, even, even to the, the extent of their life. You see this same confrontation going on to Nebuchadnezzar here with a man of conviction in Daniel. God's rule is displayed through Daniel's will. So the testimony of Daniel that we see we see that God was allowed to rule through his, his, his emotions and compassion. He was allowed to rule just in his response with courage and as well in his will with conviction. And I think that's a, that's a challenge for us today as in our lives that we too would make that choice of being individuals that allow God's rule to come forth in compassion, courage, and conviction. Let me keep pressing forward here. Uh, testimony of Nebuchadnezzar. Obviously, this whole passage is, is written um, in his first person. Nebuchadnezzar talks about his problem, the repentance that he, he went through, and, and finally, we see his response. First, let's, let's deal with the problem. Nebuchadnezzar's problem was pride. And you could just, 
observe how serious or central to this was to his life as he refers to it in his testimony. You know, at the end of the 12 months when he's faced with this decision, again, he's walking on the roof of his royal palace and he's looking around and said, is not this the great Babylon which I built, my mighty power, as a royal residence for the glory of my majesty? Wow, self-absorbed. The great Babylon, you know, in his mind was all a product of himself, all for his glory. Yes, Nebi had a little bit of a pride problem. <laughs> At the heart of pride is this issue that who's on the throne of your life? Really, if you could, could kind of dissect pride, it comes down to who sits on that throne, um, that driver's seat. Who, who's there seeking to receive the glory? Well, pride is that sin that claims that authority, that claims that glory for oneself. God hates pride. Proverbs 6.16, there are six things that the Lord hates. Seven are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes is first on that list. Proverbs 8.13, fear the Lord is hatred of evil. Pride and arrogance and the way of evil and perverted speech, I hate. You know, pride was, was at the core of Lucifer's fall. Pride was at the, the core of Adam and Eve's sin. Pride here is Nebuchadnezzar's problem. He liked being king. He was going to be king of his life. Even when Nebuchadnezzar was confronted with power of the Most High God in the, in, the, in the early occurrences of the fiery furnace and even these dreams, he still didn't want to get out of that seat. I think, he, I think we see he was kind of open to more of an add-on, you know, I'm going to stay in my seat, but, you know, we've seen enough about God. It's, it's good to kind of have him around. He, like, walks over and, uh, you know, I got my own throne, but he pulls up another seat. God, you can sit, like, right beside me over here. You know, I might have another dream. And Daniel, you help. What? God's saying his seat's smaller than mine. <laughs> well, Daniel's okay with that. Again, that dynamic of wrestling with who's on the throne and who's going to receive the glory? And he sees God as an add-on. I read this week this quote. Being impressed by God is not the same as conversion. Being impressed by God is not the same as conversion. God is simply not an add-on. It'd be as weird as much as if you get this brand new trailer and it's really cool. And then you say, I'm going to get an add-on like this really fancy truck. <laughs> Well, the truck's not an add-on to a trailer. It's the thing that pulls it. It's the thing that drags it. God's not this add-on. Well, unfortunately, Nebuchadnezzar needed to learn the hard way. And God helped Nebuchadnezzar with this lesson. He moved him, you know, from the palace to the back 40. His diet changed from steak, fish, fillets, to wine and field, uh, to field grass and pond water for the next seven years. Um, what did he learn in that seven years? Started wondering if he learned that, you know, hey, this grass is impacting my nails and hair, <laughs> right? Um, he learned again that God is God and he is not, which then at that process as he learns, we find God acting in grace, um, relieving him of this insanity, and we have a repentance. In verse 34, we read of the king's repentance. God restored reason to the king and freed him from insanity. 
At this point, Nebuchadnezzar acknowledged God's rule in his reign. He turned from serving himself and served the Most High God, which then ultimately responded in his response to God, which was worship and proclaiming his name. Listen to verse 34. At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven, and my reason returned to me, and I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. Nebuchadnezzar's response was to proclaim Most High God to all the earth. This is the reason for the royal letter. If you go back as we began this chapter in verses 1 and 2. Um, listen to verse 3. Actually, I, I just want to read this again, verse 3. Because it, it, it highlights this change that went on in, in, um, in his repentance. Which really means again to turn. How great are his signs, how mighty are his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and his his dominion endures from generation to generation. Do you see the, the change there from when he was, this is my kingdom and my might and my glory. As he writes this, you see this changed person that's now focused on God's glory. And what was his response? It was to worship and it was to proclaim his name. Well, finally, we come to the testimony of God's work. God's work here is just displays his, his graciousness, which I see comes out in, in patience. When he made this, this judgment, if you would, to Nebuchadnezzar, he provided this full year for Nebuchadnezzar to, to repent. Personally, I think he probably could have waited 10 years. It wasn't going to matter anyway. Nebuchadnezzar wasn't. He needed this loving discipline. But you do see this, this characteristic in, in God's response of just being patient and gracious. 2 Peter 3, 9 says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should, re, all should reach repentance. So Peter at this point is writing about the return of of God, but you do see that that characteristic in there of of being patient and desiring repentance. Well, that characteristic is even displayed here to King Nebuchadnezzar, and I see in God's work just a testimony of His His gracious love, which is this next point is of, of how God demonstrated His love. God worked um, this discipline in Nebuchadnezzar's life both as a means of judgment, but also of mercy. I grew up in a generation of of which I have burned in my memory the statement, now this is going to hurt me more than it's going to hurt you. If if that is true, my parents hurt a lot. (laughs) But the reality behind that is, is the dynamic is, you know, discipline is done in love. This act that was, was coming about, Nebuchadnezzar, was, was both, a, again, a, a judgment of how he was acting against God and his pride, but in that you, you, you also see this work to open his eyes that he would come to this knowledge of God, that he would bend the knee to say, God most high. So in that act, we see we, we just this discipline, we see this act of both judgment and mercy. The final, the final piece of uh, just the testimony of God here is that God's work was carried out. 
He completed it. He carried it, he carried it on. Um, so where I'm going with this is that I've often thought it crazy that Jesus would entrust his disciples with the Great Commission. And here, I'm going back to heaven, and here you are. And what was it in the disciples that gave Jesus the idea that they were going to do, do a good job with that work? I'm like, oh, people, you seem to always drop the ball. Well, the commission was there in the Old Testament as well. Um, it goes back to Genesis 12 and verses 1 to 3. The, the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kingdom and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing and bless those who bless you. And whom, him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. There was this call that the, the nations would be blessed through Israel. Well, <laughs> Context of Daniel, where's Israel right here? They're being disciplined. Babylon had come, home, had come and destroyed Jerusalem and, and the exiles. But even in man's failure, God's mission carries on. God would not be deterred by man's failure. He continued his work and his proclamation through who of all people? Nebuchadnezzar. That, that is just crazy how God works. Here, Nebuchadnezzar is proclaiming to, to the ends of the earth the most high God. I think that gives us incredible hope of a God who is in control. We look around and we wonder what's going on and, and how, how are we getting through this. We have a God that, that he knows. He's got it which is really why I'm glad he's in the chair and none of us are. Well, as we look at these three testimonies, um, they're really written so that you ask the question of, about your own testimony. What, what are you writing through your life? What do we see there? These, are, these testimonies are asking you, you know, is, is God simply an add-on for you? Um, remember, being press, impressed by God is, is not the same as conviction. James 3 states, and this is just, this is, he says it so powerful. He says, you believe that there's one God? Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. There's this invitation as we read these testimonies of who's sitting in that throne seat of your life? Who have you given to be your Lord and Savior? Later in James, he says, but he gives us more grace. That's why God says, that's why my scripture says, God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. That is our, our challenge today. As we consider our testimony, would we bow the knee, much like Nebuchadnezzar bowed the knee, to have that changed and transformed life for God's glory, the Most High God? Um, our worship team's gonna come forward, and we're gonna close with one last song, like, 
like um, Nebuchadnezzar realized his changed life, he could do nothing but praise, but praise our God. And we want to close with that opportunity to to bend our knee and and to lift him up in praise. Um, Would you pray with me? And please stand. Father God, thank you so much for the testimony we have recorded in your word. God of a God that is so gracious, that pursues men to the the ends of the earth, God, for your glory, and that they might know life. Father, I pray that we could, like Nebuchadnezzar, bow our knee before you to recognize that you are our God that we are not, we would allow you to be sitting on that throne of our life. Father, receive our worship now. In Jesus' name, amen.